Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is Robin LeBeau, founder and CEO of the production collaboration platform SessionWire. But first of all, let's talk about something that we'd all like to happen, and that's making a living just through streaming. There's a 224-page report from the UK Intellectual Property Office called Music Creators' Earnings in a Digital Era that really spelled everything out. First of all, it found that you needed about a million streams per month to make somewhere between three and $5,000 per month. Now, the reason why you can't get any more specific is because you don't know where those streams came from. For instance, they may be coming from Spotify as opposed to Amazon Music, as opposed to Apple Music or any of the others, and they all pay at slightly different rates, plus there's different tiers that pay at different rates, plus they may be coming from one country that either pays more or less, so it's hard to determine, but on the average, you need about a million streams per month just to make a reasonable living. Now, it turns out in the UK, there's about 1,723 people that are doing this, which turns out to be about 0.4% of the musical population. Now, remember that Britain has 68 million people. The United States has 333 million, which is about five times more. So if we extrapolate that out, that means in the United States, there should be about 8,600 artists that are making a living from their streaming. I don't know if that's the case at all, but... Again, we're extrapolating, so it's very difficult to tell. But in the UK, we know pretty much exactly how many people. It turns out that you can only make the kind of money if you have a lot of music that's streaming, because 65 to 75% of all streams come from back catalog. What does that mean? Songs that are older than 18 months are considered back catalog. And most of the streams come from there. So if you're a new artist starting out, then you have a little ways to go. You have to have a fair amount of music up there so you get a fair amount of streams. Some of the other findings are a little disturbing. So, for instance, the majority of the 1,723 were signed to major labels, and they would outperform an indie artist by a factor of 6 to 1. So, the story here is, you're not signed to a major label, then you're probably not getting as many streams as you would like. I guess there's no surprise there, actually. What's more concerning is the fact that the number of streams that you need in order to make just a reasonable living is going higher and higher every year. And if we look at it, it's now twice as high as it was five years ago. So you look at this and you think, okay, it's definitely possible to make a living. And I know of several artists that aren't household names that are doing really well just through Spotify alone. So it's possible but they all have millions of streams per month. And that's the whole key. Everything here is based on multiple millions. That's the world we live in. No longer does 100,000 do us much, 100,000 views, 100,000 streams. We're looking at the million, the 10 million, the 50 million range to really start to make some money. It's not impossible, and there are many people that are doing it, but do you want to work that hard? For many artists, the answer is yes, But for many others, the answer is definitely no. And of course, those are the artists that will have to keep on playing live in order to make a basic living wage.
you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, if you're like a lot of people that listen to this show, a lot of people that read my blogs or books, or if you've been around for a while in the recording business, you know how much really good recording equipment really helps in getting sounds. No one can ever take you to task if you're using a really nice vintage microphone and preamp, and chances are it's just going to sound really good. That being said, there are a lot of artists these days that are not only recording with their iPhone, but they're having hits. One example? Well, Rihanna's big hit, Umbrella. That's one. Nine Inch Nails, The Hand That Feeds. Kendrick Lamar had two, Damn and Ego Death. Then we can go to T-Pain, Kanye, Grimes, Usher, Tom Morello's brand new album, done on an iPhone. So, does this sound great? Well, it can. Good post-production, good engineer, good mixing techniques, good mastering, of course, can take everything up a notch or two or three or ten. But that being said, the whole idea is to capture the moment. What we're trying to do is capture the spark. And as we all know, sometimes we can get too nerdy and the spark kind of leaves. I know a few years ago I did an album completely on analog tape, and it was only because the artist wanted to do it that way. And one of the big problems that we had was the fact that we ran out of tape frequently. So you had the band, and the band gets really hot, and you want one more take. But it's a five-minute song, and you only have four minutes of tape. So until you roll the reel off, find another one, put the other one on, it might be ten minutes, and the band has kind of lost it. So being in the moment is really important. It's always been really important. And thankfully, the iPhone gives us the chance to be able to actually record some stuff when we feel it and when we're doing our best. So you may feel that the iPhone doesn't have the sound quality that you need. Believe me, it does. One of my subscribers, as a matter of fact, only uses an iPhone and GarageBand, and I'm always shocked how good his productions sound. So it is possible. Don't look down at this technology. It's there for a reason. It's getting better all the time. And just like your camera, it's only good if you have it available exactly when you need it. My guest this week is Robin LeBeau, founder and CEO of the production collaboration platform SessionWire. SessionWire solves the main challenges associated with remote collaboration of having to cobble together different audio, video, and file transfer services to recreate a realistic virtual recording environment. The platform's all-in-one seamless integration of high-quality audio and video enables artists to focus on the music and the creative process. SessionWire's core components include a standalone Mac and Windows app, an online community, a suite of cross-platform plugins, and the unique session view, a browser-based production environment that allows anyone with a link to participate in a remote session with live, high-quality audio and video. During the interview, we spoke about the reality of latency, the unpredictability of Wi-Fi, how SessionWire works, and much more. I spoke with Robin from his office in Vancouver. (music) 
let's go back to the beginning. Give me some of your background. Well, it all started when I was born. No, I won't go back that far. Um, <clears throat> pardon me in advance for my voice. I've been doing a lot of talking today, and my voice is kind of uh, hoarse. I was a lifelong musician. I went to guitar school at GIT back in uh, 1981, 82, which dates me significantly. Um, after I graduated, I had to make the decision whether to stay in LA or come back to Canada. I decided to come back to Canada because, you know, friends and family and life, etc. cetera. Um, did a lot of touring as a musician playing live stuff. I've always been a writer. I loved doing lots of different writing, different styles, even orchestral sort of stuff. Uh, a huge fan of bands like Yes and Genesis and uh, things like that, where they were getting really, you know, exploring a lot of different genres being mashed together. Then uh, I got into recording. I wanted to learn about it, and I got the studio recording handbook and went into the back room with an Atari 1040 ST and an M1 and a Fost XR8. And I started um, learning about MIDI sequencing and synchronization. And I, I ended up um, being headhunted by an audio engineering school. I went there and I taught there and I ended up writing and rewriting most of the curriculum. And um, what learning, school was that out of curiosity? Uh, that was, it was called Columbia uh, Academy of Recording and Television Arts. It was based here in Vancouver. It's no longer in existence, I don't think, but. Um, it was a really great opportunity. It was built around a studio that was built by Chips Davis in Vancouver. It was live in dead end room, had 48 channel Neve consoles in both rooms, um, Sony 3324- machines upstairs and 48 3348- downstairs were actually inverse. Beautiful recording room, grand piano. So that, that was a real rich time for me because I learned a lot of stuff and I had Ken Pullman's principles of digital audio and uh, this you know, Digital audio wasn't a thing yet, and so I'm on page 10, and the students are on page 1, and sort of worked through that, and then I kind of got it, took that on board and got more into digital audio and um, did a lot of post-secondary education, um, teaching recording arts and, and production in general. Then I, I got the, the computer bug and started doing multimedia programming, which, of course, led into the internet and uh, getting involved in that. And... Um, I also did some broadcast audio with the NBA and um, NHL here in Vancouver, Orca Bay. And uh, so I've worn a lot of hats and been involved in professional audio and video in various different capacities. So I had this sort of big, you know, base of experience in all these fields. And um, then I had kids. <laughs> and everybody in my family is a musician. Um, and, but my one son when, was going through this phase where he was just completely immersed in um, writing music on his MacBook Pro. We lived in a little town, 40-minute ferry, ferry ride from Vancouver called Gibson's BC. And I'd go by and I'd see the glow under his door and he'd be in there, you know, hammering away on his guitar. And all of us are, you know, we can be good at a lot of things, but it's very rarely that we're good at everything. And so... I thought, man, it would be just so great if he could find some drummer. He was into this Norwegian operatic metal stuff. And I thought if he could just find a drummer somewhere that actually le legitimately played this style. Like Norway. Take his, you know, like Norway, yeah, exactly. Right. Which is where, we're, you know, my grandfather is from. 
That's my original name is Lebe. Ah, nobody yeah. could pronounce that. So yeah. anyway, um, I thought, man, there's got to be a tool. And I got all excited. I thought I got to find him some guy in Norway that could play on his track. So I went online and I was looking and looking and looking. I couldn't find anything. I could find a lot of collaboration software where it's like you have a profile and you can upload tracks and all that sort of stuff and not interested. So then I thought this whole, I'd been thinking about this whole idea of, since like 1997, 98 about this this way for musicians to directly access each other and their audiences and, and the internet was the obvious uh, solution to that. So anyway, it all came together one day at supper. We were just talking and I just said, session wire. And my wife looked at me and she goes, that's it. So it, it, it turned from that, you know, the broad concept into the name, into a logo, into one day I'm out, um, using a leaf blower on my lawn or on my driveway. My neighbor comes over. I told him about what we were doing. And uh, he came back, knocked on the door, and he turned out to be our first investor. He gave me a check. And uh, that was the beginning of Sessionware. And it's one of those things, it's, it's a very unlikely story, the whole thing of, of how we ended up being here today. But it's all fueled by the uh, the passion of everybody on the team to help musicians to help people who are making music or, or doing audio production uh, at a distance to make it easy. That's our whole, you know, our, our mantra is remote sessions simplified. And that's what we're trying to do. And a huge part of that is communication, not just transmitting audio back and forth, but it's the, you know, it's the sort of um, meeting of, you know, talking with one another, scheduling things, having connections that you can be make easily, uh, we've got text chat that's coming out in the uh, release after next and all that stuff. So bring all these communication tools in an integrated tool where it just makes, we hope that people never talk about session wire, <laughs> never even think about it. It just becomes something that blends into the background and they just get their work done because that's what we're here for. Well, describe session wire. Okay. So session wire is a suite of software there are three different basic components. One is the community, which is an online uh, web application where you can set up a profile. You can select, you know, whether you want the free creator subscription, which has a lot of value, by the way. And then the artist subscription is the paid plan. And there's also, you can buy session passes. So you can add paid, paid plan features onto the creator subscription for three days at a time, for instance. So... The reason we did that again is that people don't necessarily need the software to do those things all the time. So we're not here to try and hook people into a, you know, subscribing forever just to get the service. Some people love that. They go, just give me a year. I just want to have it there so I can just use it whenever I want. Don't have to think about it. Other people are, they've got, let's call it slimmer budgets and they just need to be able to pay for the service when they need it. So that's the community site. So that's community.sessionware.com. That's where you go to sign up for an account, whether it's free or paid. And then when you sign up for your Sessionware membership, you can download the Sessionware app. And we have an app for Windows and we have an app for Mac OS. And they're both native applications. And they basically perform the functions of Zoom in that there's it's video chat. But that's where this, you know, the similarity ends. You have a list of contacts, more like Skype actually, where you send a connection request and when it's accepted, they end up in your contact list. 
And then you can see if that person's online or offline or whatever. And if you click it, you should call them, they answer the call and you're in a video chat. And um, from that point on, then it gets into the things that make Sessionware really special. And the, the thing that makes it probably the most special is the fact that you can stream high quality audio from Pro Tools to Logic or Ableton to Reaper or Digital Performer to fill in the blank. I mean, uh, it works with all DAWs. We have uh, three Mac OS plugins. We have got them in audio units and VST3 and uh, AAX for Mac and AAX and VST3 for Windows. So those plugins are automatically installed when you install the Sessionware app. So this gets me to, sorry, it's a long-winded explanation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of moving parts here. So we have the community where you sign up for your account and all that. You download the app. You have the app on your computer now. Plugins are installed. They're in your directories. So if you go into Logic or you go into Pro Tools or you go into Ableton, you'll see the plugins are there. So we have a send plugin, a receive plugin, and then we have talkback plugins. So the reason we have talkback plugins, I'll circle back to in a bit, but the, the basic use case is I'm in Vancouver. Where are you located, Bobby? Los Angeles, Burbank, California. Okay. Burbank, right on. Um, so I have a song and I'm dying for you to hear it. So we connect on Sessionwire. I go to my Logic session. I put a Sessionwire send plugin on my stereo bus and I hit play in Logic. It goes through the plugin, through the Sessionwire app, across the connection that we have, and it comes out your speakers in high quality audio. And you can say, Robin, that's the worst thing I've ever heard, but I really admire your attitude. Go try again. <laughs> and I go, okay, thank you. And I, um, so that's the basic process. And for many, many use cases, that's enough. I'll give you another use case with just the Sun Send plugin. For instance, you wanted me to play guitar on one of your tracks. We have a peer-to-peer -peer file transfer. So if you drag, took a file and dragged it onto my face on Sessionware and released it, I would get a message in a, a progress bar and your file would come to me directly and then prompt me for a place to store it on my computer. So I can store that in, in, in a folder and drag it into my Logic session or Pro Tools or Studio One. Then I hit play and you can hear your file across the session where I'm using the send plugin. And then I go, okay, well, I was thinking I would do a little bit of this. And then I start playing my guitar along with the file. There's no latency involved because you're hearing everything from me. Got it. Ah, yeah. It takes a, a, a big chunk of the latency discussion out of the, out of the loop. So that works anywhere in the world. Even if there's like, you know, hundreds of milliseconds of latency on the connection, that process works perfectly. And so I, I'm playing the thing and you're producing, you're saying, oh, could you go up to the 12th fret on that thing? And how about a little whammy at the end and all that sort of stuff. And then when the track is to your satisfaction, then I just bounce the track out and I drag it onto your face. We call it face drag internally and release it. And you get a progress bar and you get the the full 24-bit 96K recording or whatever it is, and you can just drop that into your session, and we're done. And we say, have a nice day, and we go off and, and do something else. So that's a very common technique for overdubbing. And then, of course, there's mix reviews, which are just a one-way send of, you know, here's the mix that I, you know, and you say the crash symbol is too loud on going into the chorus, and I go, okay, and I go back and do that. Uh, or mastering, same kind of thing. Uh, it's, an, it's a one-way musical conversation. So it's not very often that you actually need to use the receive plugins. But if you do, for instance, uh, for instance, with a voice actor or something like that, 
they can just open the SessionWire app and select their microphone for the high quality input. And they can stream their microphone directly across the internet into the receive plugin and you can record it into your workstation. Ah, oh, okay. And we also have um, the talkback talk plugins, like I mentioned, in certain rigs like HDX rigs and stuff like that. Um, it can be important to actually manage the talkback process within your DAW session. So with the talkback plugins, you can take um, any input to your interface, run it into the talkback plugin, and it will take the place of, say, a built-in mic and speaker setup on a MacBook Pro. You just have to manage it within your session. So the talkback uh, source would be coming from your DAW, and the, the talkback destination would be your DAW, and you'd do all your monitoring internally within the DAW session. Very cool. How long did it take to develop this? We really started about five years ago. In, in earnest, but we ran into some issues early on that had nothing to do with the technology or anything like that. And I, was, I sort of won't go there, but when we sort of got our sea legs back and we got back into development, we decided last year to rebuild everything essentially from the ground up. So the first version of SessionWire was very exploratory, you know, figuring out how to, things would work, what do people want, how does this all you know, how do you conduct sessions remotely? It was a real, it was a box full of question marks. So we sorted a lot of that stuff out. And then when we had a feeling like, okay, we know what we're doing now. Let's, let's build it from the ground up and we'll do it exactly the way that we think is, is the correct way. And that's what we did last year. So now we have SessionWire version two. And the other thing that was missing with the first version is, is it was Mac OS only. And of course we took a lot of heat for that. But um, as developers as a small team, you can only do so much with the resources that you have. But I said this time around, the, it's absolutely crucial that we build both the Mac and the Windows platforms from the ground up. So they're parity in terms of feature and performance and all that sort of stuff. And then we have plugins for, for both Mac OS and for Windows as well. And so that's kind of where we're at today. So we've, uh, we've just launched, uh, recently launched 2.0, and we're almost ready to launch 2.1, which brings back the meters, which we had in the original app, which everybody kind of liked. And they actually form a, a really key part of troubleshooting um, because it shows you that the SessionWire application is receiving audio from a plugin, whereas right now without the meters, it's a little bit by guess and by golly. So. I know that, especially when COVID hit, Everybody and their brother wanted to do some sort of online collaboration, and the biggest problem was always latency, and nobody could get around that. But you have, because this is um, a different approach to it. Well, that's that's a very good point, and I've spent half of the last five years talking about latency <laughs> to people, and even getting into some, not heated discussions, but very passionate discussions about it. Like, I've had people tell me straight to my face, oh, I saw this thing and there was no latency. There was zero latency. I guarantee it. I saw it with my own eyes and I'm going, okay, well, you do understand that there's something called the speed of light, <laughs> right? And and I, without trying to be too smarmy about it or just tell them that, you know, that it takes 18, 20 milliseconds from LA to New York at, at light speed and then the same amount of time back. And you can't do anything about that unless you have some kind of a time warp generator, which we haven't invented yet, but if we get enough R&D money, we'll look into it. But so right from the get-go, I understood that the whole jamming thing is not what SessionWire was going to be about. There are some devices out there now that have super low latency, and they can 
actually achieve pretty good performance within like a five or 600 mile radius. You know, you can get reasonable, you know, latencies between the individual performers, but the problems ensue uh, because the latencies are different between the different parties and they're not necessarily static. And so, and the further you go out, you have to drink more tequila to compensate. <laughs> but with recording, I remember I, I used to work with, I, I left that out of the sort of history part, but I, I used to work with is, uh, if you remember the radar. Oh yeah. Yeah. So first it was a creation radar, then the Atari radar, then the is radar. Just it, 2019, it was in the tech hall of fame, I believe the radar. Anyway, I worked with that crew. And so we got down to the nitty gritty in terms of latency and stuff. And I remember having conversations in Nashville with studio players and they were complaining about the latency and Pro Tools and all of the other recording software. There's this, the issue of latency, which is of course why Universal Audio decided, hey, let's run the plugins on the interface and we'll lower the latency even more. So these are the types of latencies I'm talking about. And I'm looking at the internet going not even close. 20 milliseconds is the mysterious Haas fusion zone and all that sort of stuff where the human ear can start to perceive del discrete delays and all that stuff. And going, so we have to come up with a method and an approach which completely embraces that as a reality and never pretend to our customers or anybody else that we're solving the latency issue in that way. So how can we do that? And we came up with a, a couple of really novel approaches, one of which was in our alpha software um, which will, will be returning at some point, but essentially what it, we did was we took control of both machines in the call. And we, because we had control of both machines, we could mess with the time domain and we could eliminate the perception of latency in the call. Ah, yeah. Um, as it turned out, it was way too complicated for people to wrap their brains around. And we ended up pulling that out of the product because it confused people to think of all of these additional parameters to what they were trying to achieve. So we ended up with a very simple basic system that works really well. Record everything at the remote end, monitor everything from the remote end. At this end, you have no latency issues and then transfer the file back, drag and drop. It's encrypted like a bank transfer. It's done. And for most people that works great. There are other instances where people want this other functionality, but people aren't clamoring for it. Let's just put it that way. Hmm. When it becomes a really well understood thing and a need in the marketplace, like we have to have this, well, we'll have it ready to go. But until then, I think we're just going to run with what we have because it's working really well for people. Latency is interesting because it's different for everybody the, where you can feel it. I was consulting for a company, and this is back in the beginning of digital audio, and the latency that they had was like seven milliseconds, which most people couldn't feel, but there were some that would come in and would go, oh, no, th this was a guitar product. And they go, oh, I can't play to this. And you go, oh, wait a second. <laughs> That's not yeah. that much, you know? But there are some people that are much more sensitive to latency than others. Absolutely. And I've had many discussions with studio players and a bunch of them in Nashville, and, and that's the feedback that I got. They said, and I quote, it Fs with the pocket. Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, and it's true. They they can actually, they feel it. And it's just like, oh, this feels like playing a tuba or something. This sounds like it requires some high bandwidth in order to work well. Nope. We did uh, the whole NAM show with uh, three megabits a second connection, which is extremely expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gotten uh, yeah. internet at the NAM show. Uh, I know about NAM. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but we had 
Kevin, um, my business partner, Kevin Williams was up here in Vancouver and we were in Anaheim and nine hours a day for the whole show, we had him on the big screen on session wire and he was like waving at people. And it was kind of a novelty kind of fun, but, um, yeah, it's, it's about one and a half up and one and a half down is all you need for a connection, which is ridiculously yeah. economical considering what most people have. So it's not a, it's not a bandwidth issue. It's more about the quality of the service. And this is where we get into the Wi-Fi versus Ethernet. Now, SessionWire will work over Wi-Fi absolutely flawlessly if you have good Wi-Fi. The number of people with good Wi-Fi in North America, you could all probably fit in a small room um, because of the channelization of the Wi-Fi and interference and mums using a microwave oven in the other room and all the line of sight. I did, actually did a, a little side gig um, putting Wi-Fi into a couple of hotels here in Vancouver. And it was a fascinating journey, the heat mapping of Wi-Fi and all that stuff. And it's way more complicated than most people think. And they think that they got little, the little bars on their radio or at the top, they've got perfect Wi-Fi. But really, Wi-Fi is very prone to bursts of data and and also famines of data. Yeah. Yes. So if you look at the... If you look at a Wi-Fi analyzer, you'll see that there's like tons of data throughput and then not much and then none at all and then tons. And the average will get you to your speed test on the internet and you go, oh, I've got really high speed internet and my Wi-Fi is fine. But when you're dealing with a real-time signal with no buffering, we're not like lit, uh, Netflix where you get the spinny thing and you know it's loading up the buffer until it thinks that it can almost stay ahead of your internet connection. We don't do that because it needs to be immediate and it needs to be the lowest latency possible. So we always recommend to take that right off the table, just use an Ethernet cable. That doesn't mean it won't work with Wi-Fi, but if it does, if you are going to use Wi-Fi, you have to make sure that your Wi-Fi is optimal and you have to understand that there may be things outside of sessionware's control and outside of your control even that could impinge on your Wi-Fi signal and cause problems with your audio. I've actually endured that myself where I was, for doing things like this, I was on Wi-Fi, and I have a very fast connection. It's 500 meg down, and it's about 30 up, which is plenty, should be plenty. And yeah. I was still running into all sorts of problems, and I would do the same thing. I'd do the, you know, the speed tests and everything. i go, what is the problem here? And finally, I started to get into it more and get some better tools to look at it. And I discovered exactly the same thing. And eventually I ran a long ethernet cable. <laughs> it's inelegant, but it works. It works a lot better. Well, I always say you, you went out and you spent a bunch of money, you bought a Neumann U47 and you've got a Neve module over here. And what are you going to do? Are you going to go to the, go to guitar center and get a sure wireless to connect it to your Neve module? You're not going to do that. Why are you not going to do that? Because it's not the best possible outcome. Best possible outcome is you use a really nice, high-quality, balanced cable with XLR connectors on it, and you connect it. And you do that because it eliminates noise, and it's low impedance, and all those great things. And it's it, people just need to start thinking about the internet as an extension of their studio. And if you love your audio enough to go and spend 3500 bucks on, on a 500 series module, then if you're doing remote production, you should love your studio enough to go buy a $15 Ethernet cable or call your, I called my, my ISP and I just said, hey, how much does it cost you to run a cable? 75 bucks. Done. 
So the guy was under with the spiders and everything in the crawl space <laughs> dealing with all that. And he put in a cable and it, I never have to think about it. I just know that I'm going to have a good connection. But obviously things can happen out there in the wild that you have no control over. That's why we always always think it's a good course of action to record locally and monitor remotely. And then you know that it, it just eliminates points, potential points of failure. And it also gets rid of the latency issue altogether. And... Um, because we had a lot of producers saying, well, a lot of the artists that I work with are technically challenged in in some way. Uh, we've added on a remoting system so the producer can take control of the artist's computer and control it remotely and also monitor their audio remotely. So essentially, uh, we had one very well-known producer this morning who was doing a session from Vancouver to Spain and he was controlling the person's computer in Spain and monitoring the audio coming back from the computer in Vancouver. And there's a little bit of latency involved, but it, you know, once you sort of get used to it, it's not really a big deal. So he can change EQ and add plugins and do edits and whatever he wants to do while the uh, artist, all they have to do is sing or play or, or do it, whatever it is that they want to do. So that's a really effective mechanism. And we've had a few people doing that on in transit transatlantic production sessions, one which was from New York to Russia. And uh, I, I saw an iPhone video of the Russian and he had sessionware up on this massive display with the two people. And then the screen, uh, uh, the Pro Tools rig was in a uh, remote control session and they just worked all day. And it was, it was like they were in the same place, even though one person was in New York and one person was in, in Russia. And so it's a it's it's an amazing time to be involved in this industry. I got to tell you, being pre MIDI myself, um, we've come a long way, and we fought through a lot of battles. And you mentioned the digital audio format thing. I remember how many digital audio formats there used to be. Oh yeah, uh, crazy. There's so many people that are producing on their phone these days. Is there an iOS app or an Android app? We actually have. A, a thing called Session View, which is kind of barely out of beta, to be honest. It's we're going to be in in two point two. We're completely focusing on Session View to sort of bring it up uh, in terms of what the capabilities are. But the idea with Session View is we could be in a session right now in Sessionware. We could publish a link, send it to somebody. They could click on it, and from a browser, whether it's Chrome, uh, Firefox, or Safari they would be able to join the video chat and also have a separate high quality audio stream. So that comes at this point from the producer or the host, whoever started the call essentially at this point. Um, that That's also available on iOS, but right now we have it blocked because we don't feel the user experience is sort of up to the level that we want it to be, but the capability is definitely there. So when we release 2.2, uh, one of the features is going to be a refined experience for iOS and Android that'll just be consumed within a browser. Mm. So they don't need a native app or anything like that. But if you want to take it out to your Escalade and and uh, session view it via Bluetooth into your sound system, you can totally do that. In the future, we have uh, a lot of feature requests and a lot of feature requests around iOS and Android for actually having an app to do recordings and and that type of thing and, and those things are definitely fairly 
far along in terms of planning, but it's just a matter of, you know, as a small company, we have to choose our battles essentially and, and focus on the features that are going to make the biggest impact for our customers. Once we get into Asia, <laughs> then we're going to definitely have to be spending a lot more time on on mobile apps because it's amazing how much they do on, on a phone there. Yeah, I know. I'm always kind of shocked they could do so much and they're willing to do it. I can't. If I don't have a computer and a real keyboard in front of me, it's not happening. I know. it's It feels claustrophobic to me, but it's all what you're used to, I guess. And uh, when you get used to a, a, a certain form factor, it just becomes your axis, as they say. Yeah. That was quotes if this is audio only. <laughs> but yeah. How about pricing, Robin? Well, I'll start off with the free business, which is the Sessionware Creator Creator membership. The creator membership gets you everything in the community, obviously a profile and and the ability to download the application. When you download and install the application, you can do unlimited peer-to-peer video chats, which is awesome because the quality is actually nicer than something like Zoom or another service like that in terms of video quality. Talkback quality is excellent. You have the ability to do peer-to-peer file transfer for free. So you can send files without needing Dropbox or any third-party service. And it's all encrypted, which is also a benefit. And when you're in a peer-to-peer call, some of your listeners may not understand, but there is no server. You are connected. My my computer is connected to your computer, and that's it. So everything that passes between them is, is completely private. So you get... The video chat, you get the file transfer, and you also have the ability to use high-resolution screen sharing. Mm. So you can view the other person's desktop. Um, you can see you know, where they were planning on editing things and discuss things like that. So right in, in that basket of goodies, you have a lot of capability that you would normally have with just email and Dropbox, et cetera, except it's way better than that mm. because now you have video chat direct file transfer with no need to upload and download stuff from servers. And uh, you can do screen sharing and all that sort of stuff. So that that's the free creator membership. And we wanted to make it that way because we wanted to pro- provide a lot of value for the community period. Then the next level that we have right now is called the artist subscription. And what that does is it turns on the high quality audio stream and lets you use the plugins. So that lets you stream audio from any DAW on any OS to any other DAW on any other OS and do it bi-directionally and at low latency and very high quality. So that's obviously something that you want to do if you're doing overdubbing, mix reviews, and all that kind of stuff. Songwriting, sure, maybe, but maybe if you do songwriting just using the talk back at first and just you know get the rough outlines of all those tunes on your album and then when you when you're ready to go you can then either upgrade to a monthly subscription which is $15 a month uh, or an annual subscription which is $150 a year or you can get a session pass and a session pass is $7 for 3 days so the idea there is is if you're using three session passes a month it makes good economic sense to get a monthly subscription. And if you're using it, you know, using it every month, it makes good sense to get an annual subscription because it's just a better deal that way. But we don't want to pe- we don't want people to feel like they're being forced into another subscription because everybody's got Disney Plus and Netflix and blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, but this is so reasonable, though. It is reasonable. It, it really is reasonable, and, and we wanted to keep it reasonable um, because, again, the, the motivation for the whole company and the whole product is driven from the grassroots, if you will, mm, yeah. people that actually do this stuff day to day. And, um, of course, we need to build a solid business out of it and hopefully a very successful business over time. But we have other levels of service that are coming. We have a, a producer level of service, which is going to have more functionality and then we've been having a lot of conversations around post-production and multi-channel and all those types of things. So we have a very long roadmap with a very interesting set of features. Uh, I can't talk about most of them, and I, I shouldn't anyway, because you don't want to sell what you have. And, and not that I'm selling, but... Last question, Robin. What's the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned along the way or somebody imparted to you? Best piece of business advice. If you're a startup, I would say the most important thing to do is to make sure that you don't have to make money from the company you're starting up because that keeps you from making hasty or poor or needy decisions. And uh, that's a tough one to do. But if you can do it, anybody out there that's had in startup land, please do that because otherwise you often find yourself in situations where your hands are tied and the decisions that are being made are not necessarily the right ones. And so that's, that's one piece of advice. Uh, the other piece of advice I have is, which I think is even more important. I picked it up in a Walt Disney book is, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact quote, but I certainly know what he meant. Get started. Just start. I started with a name then added a logo. Then I added partner got an investor and we just start we've been working ever since and just trying to realize the stream on you know for the community at large and and hopefully connect this connect the world of creators in a way that it's very transparent and and has a i think it really has we're, we're at a, a groundbreaking paradigm shift here without trying to sound too lofty i mean you can now get the right person for a track, no matter where they are in the world, no matter how much they charge, whether they charge $5 or $5,000, it, it totally changes the economics of the whole thing, which makes it a much better fit for producing music for some of the new services that are out there, like the elephant in the room in streaming. There aren't $5 million ad or $5 million recording budgets anymore. Um, well, none that I'm aware of anyway, there might be a few out there, but uh, most people are looking at creating a, a competitive offering for twenty or $30,000. And to sort of fit into those kinds of budgets, this makes sense because you cut out travel, hotel, all that stuff. Plus, the people that are providing the services have a new economy of scale rather than doing one session and having to you know, go over there and do another session, all that business. A drummer is a perfect example. The drum kit can be set up and mic'd into Neve modules with cameras. And we just did a thing with uh, Steve Sykes and J.R. Robinson where they filmed the whole session, our session and everything. Perfect example where somebody like that can knock off, you know, any number of tracks in a day. And because they can do that, they can charge less for it. I'm not saying that they do that, but I'm just saying in general, I don't know what their card rate is, but... Um, you can see how that could change things. So somebody that's a really amazing drummer that's completely unknown, you might get a, an amazing, fantastic drum track from them for a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. 
and now it's taken your 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 own production value to a whole other level or there's a guy in nashville that does b3 tracks or you know somebody that plays the sousaphone yeah right right you know so we're we're trying to work with other communities out there and we're not trying to create a this is the session where our only community we're working with several known groups out there and i can't really talk about that but we're trying to open up the availability of services from a bunch of different providers and provide more of a meta service in turn in that end of things so that people can find people whoever they're affiliated with wherever they live you know whatever and then connect with them on session where and just make music better less expensive get the process done faster all those kinds of things so that's what we're trying to achieve you can find out more about robin and session wire at sessionwire.com that's sessionwire s-e-s-s-i-o-n wire w-i-e-r all one word sessionwire.com thanks for listening and being in my inner circle remember if you have any questions or comments you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com listen to other episodes of bobby osinski's inner circle Go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. <laughs>